Esther. We're looking at Esther today. Next Sunday night, Ed Dunlop will be preaching. Um, so I'll be here in the morning, catch my flight. Ed will be here in the following week as you Sunday. And I'm going to be gone as well. So uh, pray for me. I haven't abandoned you. But it just so happened I scheduled this trip to the mission field. And then uh, a week later, my son says, oh, Dad, I'm getting married uh, Memorial Day weekend. And, uh, and he's marrying a gal from Marietta and they're going to get married up in middle Tennessee. So, um, again, I'll, I'll be missing some two Sunday mornings, two Sunday nights and a Wednesday night. So pray for me. I haven't abandoned you, but we'll be gone. Esther chapter four, Esther chapter four. Uh, what a great story this is. Now we don't know about Esther's children. The scripture doesn't say. I read where some Jewish writers believe that Darius II was Esther's child, the one Darius that treated the Jews really well. Then I read other literature that said no, that uh, uh, he was not her son. We don't know. We just don't know. But I've chosen her today because her willingness to sacrifice her life, her willingness to die for her people uh, is very, very important. And her godly character is what every woman should desire. I love what Abraham Lincoln said. No one is poor who has a godly mother. No one is poor who has a godly mother. Because a godly mother will seek the Lord, right? And a godly mother will take care of her children. And so we're thankful for all of our godly mothers today. Women have special intuition that men don't have, and we sometimes don't understand it, but they do. They have a strong endurance to pain. That's obvious. Sensible responsiveness and a sincere quality of vulnerability. Women just are, are special in so many ways. We talk about Esther, we think she was willing to die for her people, willing to die for God. The reason for that is she was willing to die to self. Willing to die to self. And that's what all of us should desire as a Christian, be willing to die to ourself. We can do that, mothers do that well when it comes to their children. They don't get all the desires they want in life because they're caring for children. And, and so we appreciate our mothers. I read Proverbs eleven sixteen. It says, A gracious mother retaineth honor. Proverbs 12, 4, A virtuous woman is a crown to her husband. Proverbs 18, 22, Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor of the Lord. Because the Lord wants us to be married, doesn't he? He says, Who finds a wife finds a good thing. And then Proverbs nineteen fourteen, A prudent wife is from the Lord. Now, I'm not here to say that everyone has to get married. We know there are times where Scripture says you can do more for God when you're not married. But most men, almost all men, need a wife. If anything, just to keep us straight, to keep us out of trouble, to tell us when we're wrong. I love Chuck Swindoll's story. He was saying that someone came up to him and said, Dear, uh, not dear, this is wife, said, I want to tell you, you're just the greatest preacher, and went on and on and on. And he got in the car with his wife and said, Dear, how many great preachers do you think there are in America? And she said, one less than you think. <laughs> and that's what's great about wives, you know. They just kind of keep us humble. And uh, not that we're humble to begin with, but we need to be humble. And so we're looking today at Esther chapter 4. Stand when you ch find chapter 4. We're going to look at two phrases here, chapter 4, verses 14 and 16. And let me give you the background here in verse 14. 
Mordecai, her uncle, who adopted her when her parents died, says to her as she's become the queen, he says to her, and who, the last line, and who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Paraphrasing. We don't know why, but you've come to the kingdom for this time in history. And then Esther says in the last line of verse 16, it's, it, remember that the background here, it was dangerous to approach a Persian king without permission, without him summoning you. And so she's going to go wait out where he can see her. And it says here, and the, the penalty, by the way, according to verse 14, is death if you approach the king without permission. So she says here, I also and my maidens will fast likewise, and I will go into the king, which is not according to the law, and if I perish, I perish. I'm going to go approach the king for my people, the Jews, and if I die, I die. I love that about Esther, willing to die for her people. God bless us as we take a look in the book for a walk in the world, that we learn from this wonderful woman. We don't know about her children. God, you do. But we know about her character. And her character is what every mother should have in her life. And most mothers do when it comes to their own children. They're willing to die for their children. But we need to be willing to die for you. All of us, men and women, boys and girls, and we need first to die to self. Others, Lord, let that my motto be, that I'll live for others. And if I live for others, it'll please you. Bless now in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Esther was like Christ. She was willing to die to save her nation. So many other ladies in the Bible helped people. Remember Rahab hid the spies? She was a Gentile, but hid those Jewish spies. Remember the little Jewish lady uh, uh, maid who said to Naaman, go, go see Elijah. She spoke up and was bold to say that. We think of Pharaoh's daughter who saved baby Moses. So many. C.H. Spurgeon said, it's fascinating how we don't understand God's sovereignty and human choice and free will. But he said, God's plans are not hindered by the events of humanity. And God's plans aren't hindered by sinful failure. God is going to be sovereign and work his work with or without us but normally he uses us. Isn't that wonderful? He is going to fulfill his plans in the universe. Hadassah was Esther's Hebrew name. And, and we know that meant, it meant joyous. Her Persian name was Star. She was a descendant of those people that were carried away captive. Remember Jeremiah and Daniel and all those were carried away. And 50,000 returned to the holy city, but she was one of the two million Jews that didn't return. Talk about Jews being scattered. Two million of them didn't return. She was one of those captives. And she's now in this Persian kingdom. And this book, Ezra, was written somewhere between, I mean, Esther was written somewhere between Ezra 6 and 7. 475 years or so before Jesus, this was written. Written by Mordecai, they believe. About 400-some years before Christ. Martin Luther didn't accept this book as Scripture. Of course, Martin Luther started the Reformation, but didn't believe this should be part of the Bible. But he was wrong, and scholars ended up putting this in the canon. Luther's reasoning was that you didn't find the name of the Lord in there. But scholars discovered that it was written acrostically. Now, what does that mean, Pastor? It was written vertically. Remember, they wrote by hand every jot and tittle of the Old Testament. And they lined up the name Yahweh, or God, four times in this book. 
Scholars think probably Mordecai left the name of God out because he wanted to protect the book from being destroyed. We don't know that, but we do know it's inspired. God gave us this book exactly the way he wants us to have it. Amen? And what a great book it is, and scholars now are just in love with this book because of the sovereign hand of God. We see the sovereign hand of God all through it. We talk about acrostically. We remember Lamentations, 22 verses. And the first verse in the Hebrew, you don't see it in the English, starts with the first Hebrew letter, and we explain that as it goes down, it goes through the Hebrew alphabet. In this case, the name was written vertically, and I've already said that, so you know that now. But most scholars accept it and rejoice in it. Now, uh, the book of Esther is still read at the Feast of Purim. The word pure is a Hebrew word meaning to cast lots. And we'll learn that evil Haman cast lots to choose a date to destroy all the Jews. So the Jews each year now will have a festival uh, during March, and they'll celebrate Purim that God saved them from the Persians. Who are the Persians? The Persians are today the Iranians. They've always hated the Jews. And we know that Iran is seen prophetically in Ezekiel 38 as in the future hating the Jews. And the Lord Jesus Christ is going to save the Jews from destruction in the tribulation period and in the battle of the nations from one of the countries, Iran. Now you see the Medes and the Persians, who are the Medes? They're today what we know as the Kurds who live in southern Turkey and northern Iraq and Iran. So uh, I believe more in Iraq. So we have here this, this matter of Esther and in the kingdom, and we know that Persia was ruling the world. In 539, they defeated Babylon, one of the great world powers, and took over an area from India to Africa. Daniel tells us the capital is a place called Shushan. In Daniel chapter 8, verse 2, the, the, actually the archaeologist, the palace has been discovered by archaeologists. They found this big palace. They've uncovered it. They found marble pillars, a massive room. They even found the gate where they believe Mordecai overheard the plot to kill the king. And we'll talk about that in a few moments. And they have found here so many things. They found candelabras and golden cups and, and all these things pointing to the fact that this uh, nation was actually a world power and a superpower in the world controlling a great kingdom. So here we have Esther, a little Jewish girl, a slave, adopted by her uncle, and she's absolutely gorgeous. We know that. We'll learn in the text why. Then we also have Haman. Haman is an evil, evil person. He was a descendant of King Agag. Remember Agag when God said, to saw, kill him, kill everything, kill his animals, kill all the people because they were so evil. God knew that his descendants would cause further harm to God's people. Like today, we have some of these people who are harming Israel. God had actually told them to wipe out their ancestors many years ago. But remember that Saul didn't do it. And remember Samuel came in and said, did you kill Agag? I hear sheep. Is he still alive? And I'm paraphrasing. And what did Samuel do? He took his sword and he chopped Agag up. Now, who is Agag? A-G-A-G. He was a descendant of Amalek. Amalek represents the flesh. Amalek and the Amalekites always opposed Israel. They opposed Moses and Joshua and Israel at every turn. Enemies of God's people, Amalek. So the Amalekites and Agag and, and Haman's a descendant of them. An evil, evil, evil person. 
And so he's one of the, the people in the cast of characters of today's text. And we know that Esau was the father of all those people. Esau took Canaanite women and married him, and that brought about Amalek. So we've traced that back. But in Deuteronomy, God says, remember the Amalekites, remember Amalek. Don't forget the enemy. You know our problem today is we sometimes forget the enemy. Satan wants to destroy you. Satan wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy our church. He wants to destroy our country. It starts with him wanting to destroy you as an individual. If he can destroy you, he's ruined your family. Then he's ruined your children. Because you can't, you can't live a life of sin without it affecting your baby. Holland, poor Holland, finished two, two, second in two categories today. But you know, they need to live for God, not just for their sakes, but for their baby's sake. Did you know that? And all mothers think about that. I need to live right. And all fathers should think about that. It's not Father's Day, but we should all think about the effect we have on our children. So here is, here is Esther. We have also Haman. We have the Persian king. We'll say his name one time, Ahasuerus. In the Greek, it's Xerxes. You might read about him in history, but he was the king of the Persians. And we know that, that he had a queen named Vashti, and she was stunning. And one time when he and his, his, uh, his, his, uh, co-rulers and all the people in his, in his, uh, entourage of leadership were all drunk, he says to Vashti, I want you to dance before them. And the teaching, the, the, the scriptures teaches, the language teaches us that she was expected to take some clothing off and entertain them with their body. And scholars call that the inspired no. The inspired no. What do you mean, Pastor? Well, it's in scripture, so it makes it inspired. But her saying no to the king started a whole process of events rolling for God to save the Jews. An inspired no. So we have, we have evil Haman, we have Esther, we have the king, we have the queen, and finally we have Mordecai. I like him, Mordecai, because he stood for God. He's our fifth character and kind of the unsung hero. He's named after the, after Marduk, a false god of the Babylonians. Not many Christians name their children Mordecai for that reason. But that doesn't mean that anyone named Mordecai is going to be bad. Just like it doesn't mean everyone named Mary is good. You know, we understand that. But we know that he's named after this false god. He was a Benjamite who, as I said earlier, adopted Esther. And he is sitting at near an important gate. Some believe he was a partial leader for the Jewish people sitting near that gate. We'll talk more about that later. But here's Mordecai, and, and he's, he's instructed Esther not to tell anyone she's a Jew. When Vashti re refused to dance before the king, he got very angry. He threw her out. We don't know if he put her to death. Some scholars say yes, some say no, but we do not know. And I've taught you before, when we do not know, we do not fight over issues like that. We don't know. We presume possibly or probably she was, but we don't know. So she's out. And now the king's servants have to find him a new queen. And they go and gather all the beautiful women they can find. A guy by the name of Josephus, who's a historical writer, wrote, writes and says that they got 400 women to come to the kingdom for him to look them over. Guess who was amongst the 400? A little Jewish girl named Esther. She must have been a knockout because they saw, ooh, look at her. King's going to check her out, you know. And they get her and they bring her with the 400. 
And we know God's sovereign, and we know that the sovereign God finds a way to have her get the king's eye. It's not an accident. Of 400 women, he saw her, and he called her by name. That's awesome stuff to think about how God was in control. That's Esther 2, 14 and 15. We'll look at some more scripture in a moment. So he sees her. I'm not going to preach through the book verse by verse. Don't worry, that would take weeks. I'm going to give you the story today for Mother's Day. So he notices her, and the Bible says in chapter 2, 9, that the whole court, all of his servants, all of his workers loved Esther. They loved her. Now, why do you suppose that happened? Because the Lord can turn the king's heart and can turn anyone's heart. So here's this little Jewish girl, and the king notices her, and she becomes the queen. And everyone, all these people, many, many people, all loved her. And the Bible uses that word love, chesed is a Hebrew word. And it means a love that won't let go. We talk about Hosea's love for Gomer, and God's love for you and I, God's love for Israel how a man should love his wife, how a mother loves her child. They loved her that much. They absolutely loved this little girl, Esther. She found favor in everyone's eyes. And so we find this interesting story. Now we're going back, changing the subject to Mordecai. In chapter 2, verse 19, Mordecai is sitting outside one of the main gates, and he hears a murder plot. Some men are plotting to kill the king. And he goes and turns these men in. And so these men take a record of that. They deal with him. And, of course, uh, the, 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 the enemies are killed. And, and this is put down in their historical records and put in this historical library. C.H. Spurgeon said this library had 10,000 volumes. Spurgeon's read a lot of archaeology, evidently, and gave us that fact. That's interesting. Ten. Thousand books, 129 provinces from India to Africa, all controlled by the Iranians. All those books are in one place, the central library. And so it's recorded there. And of course, Mordecai basically saved the people of the king and his, his, the king's court and the king's helpers and so forth. At the same time that these men were plotting. Another man was plotting, evil Haman. We told you who he was. And he hates the Jews. And the number one Jew he hates is Mordecai. Mordecai will not bow down to him. I, I like someone who won't bow down to anyone but God. He would not bow down. And I don't know all of Mordecai's reasonings. I hope it was just for God, but maybe he just didn't like this particular jerk because he knew his character. But he wouldn't bow, and, and Haman hated this Jew, Mordecai, and he plotted and schemed against him. He worked very hard so he could kill all the Jews, starting with Mordecai. Now look at chapter 3 and verse 8. Chapter 3 and verse 8. The Bible says, And Haman said unto King Asherus, There's a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among all the people in the provinces of the kingdom, and their laws are diverse from all people, neither keep they the king's laws. And then he says in verse 9, I'll destroy you, I'll give you 10,000 talents, a huge sum of money, hundreds of thousands of dollars by today's standard. I'll give you 10,000 talents if you let me kill those people who are not obeying your laws. What do you think the king's going to say? Of course. 
Of course, if that's happening, deal with them. And notice in verse 10, the king took off his ring from his hand. Now, it's not a ring like this. It speaks of the eternal marriage. It's a ring with a big thing on it to stamp important paperwork. I had one in Japan. I've told you that signet, what that means. I think I told you on a Wednesday night. I don't remember. I don't remember much these days, but I know I told you. And they used that ring, and it was just as though the king was there. So he gives him these papers. I mean, he gives him this ring, and then then evil Hammond can stamp papers and make decisions with a king's ring. That's how close he had gotten to the king. And so you know he's plotting. And verse 13, what did he do? And the letters, he drew up letters and sent letters, verse 12, to all the rulers and governors in all the provinces, verse 13, middle of the verse, to kill and cause to perish all Jews, both young and old, little children and women, in one day, even the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, and to take the spoils. He said, we're going to kill all the Jews, we're going to take everything they have. How many times has that happened to the Jews throughout history? It's amazing. The hatred for the Jewish people. Why? Because who's a Jew? Jesus. Jesus is a Jew. So he's plotting and he's plotting and he's got this all set up. It's about nine or ten months out. He's going to kill all the Jews on this particular day and he's going to get all the enemies of Jews and there'll be 75,000 of them that will rally to go kill the Jews and steal everything they have. Verse 1 of chapter 4. When Mordecai perceived all that was done, Mordecai rent his clothes in sackcloth. And the last line says he cried a bitter cry. That painful, hurtful cry. I'm going to die, but all my people are going to die. Everybody's going to be put to death. Verse 3 says the Jews fasted and were weeping and wailing the last two lines and many in sackcloth sitting in hot ashes suffering because they know they're going to die. And then verse 4, Esther, she, she and her chamberlains, they told her and she's grieved. And that word grieved is a Hebrew word that is used to describe labor pain. She's hurting on the inside because she knows her people are going to die. Her uncle's going to die. All the Jews are going to die. And they're all torn apart about this. I love what David said. David said, weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. You know, our first song today was, meet me in the morning. Something about mornings that are special. When I have a a difficult night sleeping, I, of course, pray, and usually I fall asleep praying. I guess the devil likes that, but God does too. But I I fall asleep praying, and I get up in the morning, there's something about mornings. It's all new, it's all fresh, God's in control, I'm still alive, I can still serve Him. That's what David said, joy cometh in the morning. You say, Pastor, you, you, don't, you don't understand my life. I don't have a lot of joy right now. I've got a lot of problems. I've got a child that just breaks my heart. I've got health issues. I've, I've got this problem. I've got that. Joy cometh in the morning. One day you'll rejoice. One day you'll understand it because you'll see through a glass and you won't see darkly. The Bible said you'll see clearly and you'll understand. I like that song. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. And I can't sing at all, but you know the song. Think of that. Think of my, my singing makes you laugh, but the message makes you rejoice, right? 
It will be worth it all. Hey, when you get to heaven, these few years you've suffered, Brother Mike, will be worth it all. He'll understand why. Why did I have a stroke rather than someone else? I was living for God and I have a jerk over here I know who doesn't live for God. Why did I? I don't know, but I know it'll be worth it all. When we see Jesus, when we look upon His face, that's going to be something, folks. You know, all of us have our trials and whatever cross you're carrying, one day you'll lay it down. And then you'll see Jesus. I like that. Well, Mordecai challenges Esther to go to the king. You've got to go to the king. And that's our opening reading where he says, you're in the kingdom for such a time as this. Did you know you're in the world for such a time as this? You say, I don't know what I'm doing here. What, what does God have? And Renee says, what does God have for me? Mike says, why am I in the world? What, what am I doing here? God has a purpose. We don't know, but God has a purpose. Whether it's to take care of someone, or to provide for someone, or give a word of encouragement, or bring some cookies to your neighbor, or cut your friend's grass when he's hurt. It's all part of God's purpose. We don't understand it, and we don't know it, but God has a purpose. And Esther was in the kingdom for such a time as this. And she says, I'm going to go to the king. Even though her life would be at risk, I'm going to go to the king because if I don't, my people will suffer. And if I perish, so I perish. It's okay if we can save my people. She's determined to tell the king it's on her heart. And if she's put to death, at least the king will know that he's making a bad decision. And we read verses 11 and 14 and part of verse 16. And you know what's amazing to me? In chapter 2, verse 17, going way back to God's sovereignty. The Bible, we're we're going to st- stay, stay with me. We're in ch- going to chapter 5. But in 2.17, the king noticed Esther, didn't he? He noticed Esther. And his, God turned his heart towards Esther, as Proverbs 27.1 says. God turned his heart towards Esther. Look at chapter 5 in verse 2. She goes and she's standing there. Verse 1, Esther put on her royal apparel in verse 1 and stood in the inner court of the king's house. Verse 2, and it was so when the king saw Esther, the queen standing at the court, that she obtained favor in his sight. That's that word again, chesed. He loved this girl. He was smitten. <laughs> this little Jewish girl had his heart, man. And if you get a man's heart, you got everything. You want his wallet, get his heart. How do I get his heart? Get his stomach. The way to a man's heart is his stomach. Good dear man, you'll be able to manipulate him a little bit with your kindness. And she had him, and, and, and he loved her. And the Bible said that he found, she found favor in his sight. And he says to her in verse 4, she's telling him what's going to happen, and he says, verse 3, I'll give you half my kingdom, the last part of verse 3. I'll give you anything to the half of my kingdom. Remember Joseph when the Pharaoh loved him so much? He said, I'll give you half the kingdom. Joseph was had some power, didn't he? This Jew worked his way up, took care of, saved his nation. How many times do we see the nation saved because one person finds favor with the king? Daniel and Joseph and here Esther. And so he says, 
you know, he says, I'll give you anything. And she comes in and says, can I have a banquet? And I'll, I'll tell you what I want at this banquet, but I want Haman at the banquet. Not only is, is she wonderful and gorgeous, she's clever. We talked Wednesday about sometimes the wisdom of the world exceeds the wisdom of God's people. And that's actually a word meaning clever or prudent because worldly people can sometimes know how to manipulate and, 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 you know, borrow and buy things and make money and, and they're clever and they're shrewd. And sometimes Christians are dumber and dirt. You know that. Not, we have the wisdom of God, but we don't listen and we do some dumb things. How many times you had a Christian friend or a child or a relative go out and make some stupid decision and you're like, what is wrong with them? Well, she wasn't like that. She was witty. She said, I'll fix Haman. And remember, God is sovereign. And he gives her the idea. No doubt the idea is put on her heart. So she she gets this all set up to where she's going to deal with him. And verse 4, he says, I'll give you anything. She says, well, I just want a banquet, and I want Haman there. Meanwhile, what do you think Haman's doing? He's preparing a 75-foot-tall gallows to hang Mordecai to kick off this whole reign of terror. He's going to hang Mordecai, get him out of the way first. He'll deal with the other Jews later. He's got them on schedule nine months later. But right now, he hates Mordecai. He's building the gallows, and he is going to put Mordecai to death. God's sovereign. I love all this stuff. I think of Mordecai informing Esther about, about this uh, plot. I think, I think about Esther being chosen as the queen. And it just goes on and on. The sovereignty of God just continues and continues. But chapter 6, verse 1 is one thing I, you've got to mark in your Bible. Take your pen and mark it. I have it marked in mine. Notice the phrase, on that night. Mark the word that, or you can mark the whole phrase, on that night. On the very night, now think about this, on the very night that he's prepared the gallows, he's going to come and talk to the king, but other things are going on. On that very night, look what happens. The king could not sleep. The king can't sleep. So he can't sleep, and he calls for one of his servants. I can't sleep. And reading is a good thing to put you to sleep. So give me something. Read something to me. So the guy goes in this 10,000-volume library, and he pulls a book off the shelf, and he's going to read to the king to put him to sleep. And guess what he reads? He reads a story about Mordecai a few months back that had saved his kingdom. And he's like, what? What did we do for Mordecai? This Jew did this for me? Did, what did we do? Nothing, nothing. I'm paraphrasing, of course. Well, let's do something for Mordecai. And so the king, it's morning, he goes out and someone says, Haman's here to see you. We'll send him in. He said, Haman, what should we do for someone who's done great things and honored me and respected me? And Haman thinks it's him. I think you should put a robe on him and parade him through the city and make everybody cheer and worship him and lift him up and all that. And the king says, do it, and do it for Mordecai. Can you imagine Haman? What? I hate that Jew. I've got to do that? Oh, my word. I can't tell the king I hate that guy. But what does he do? He's got to do it. So he parades him through the street all day, and the banquet is there that night, and they're having this banquet. Now Esther says, oh, king, here's my request. My request is that you don't put me to death. He's like, what are you talking about? You're the woman I love. But there's a decree, and your signature is on it to kill all the Jews, and I'm a Jew. 
And he was incensed. He knew he had been duped. He knew Haman had set this whole thing up and Haman's responsible. I mean, he's furious. He's so mad. He storms out of the kingdom. And Haman sees it and hears about it and he runs to the bed of Esther. He's on the floor. Oh, please spare my life, Esther. And the king walks back in. And that wasn't good. <coughs> to the gallows he goes, the very gallows he built for Mordecai. Wow. God's timing is always perfect. I had a prayer request answered yesterday. Just a little one. Thank God for those little ones. God's timing. And so, what a shocking story. On that very night, it just so happened. It just so happened. The reading, the fall can't sleep, the book being read, and Haman showing up. I mean, what are the chances of that? There are no chances of that. Unless God is part of the equation. And I just wanted to tell you this story. It's such a wonderful story. And so all this is just unfolding, unfolding, and it's all happening in chapter 7, verse, verses 2 through 6 is unfolds. In verse 7, the king catches him, and he's mad, and so he kills him. Unfortunately for the Jews, the decree of the Iranians or the Persian cannot be altered. But the king, for, for her sake, says... It's nine months, I'll let them defend themselves. And so the Jews are equipped and get their weapons and get ready. And when the Persians, the Iranians come to kill them, they defeat them and wipe out 75,000 of the enemy. Only God could make that happen. Again, the sovereignty of God. And look at chapter 8, verse 17. We know that Haman and his sons were hung on the same gallows that were prepared for Mordecai, his sons as well. But look in chapter 8, verse 17. I love this. Chapter 8, verse 17, the last part, said, Jews had joy and gladness and had a feast and a good day, and many of the people of the land became Jews for the fear of the Jews fell on them. What do you mean they became Jews? They practiced Judaism. They did what they needed to do to be saved because back then Jesus hadn't come yet and to be a believer, you had to believe in the Jewish Messiah that would one day come and deliver them. And all these Persians got saved, these Iranians. There's still churches in Iran today and still pastors. They're persecuted, but there's still believers there today. So the great thing in the story is the salvation of Israel, but something even greater as Iranians, Persians got saved. Now I can't stand Iran as a country. But when I meet someone who's a believer from Iran, I like them a lot. Because I know to be a believer from that part of the world, man, that's, that's persecution. Then chapter 10, verse 4. I love this. Chapter 10, verse 4, and we'll close momentarily. Verse 3. There's not four verses. It's like the Hezekiah joke. For Mordecai the Jew was next to the king Asherus and great among the Jews. He's, he's in the king's court now. He sits next to the king. The Jew that was going to be hung is not next to the king. Isn't that God? Isn't that like God? You know, the least in this life are going to be the greatest in the kingdom. I had a guy up in Saudi. His name was Gary. He's a wonderful guy, but he had a lot of problems. He was slow mentally. He would walk all the way to church. I may have told you about him. And I have said this to many people up there. You know who's going to be the greatest from this church in the kingdom of God? I said him. You know why? He wasn't given much. 
and the least in this life are going to be elevated and exalted one day. And maybe I'll polish his shoes or iron his pants. I don't think we'll need to do that in the kingdom, but I'll be a servant to the greatness of Gary. We have to recognize God exalts humility. Think about Israel, Amalek, and the pharaohs, and the babies thrown in the Nile River, and the babies of the day of Herod. And we think about Hitler, Mengele, and Himmler, who killed six million, and Stalin, who killed two million, and the 48 war, and the 67 war, and the 73 Yom Kippur war. And there's going to be a battle during Armageddon. There's going to be a battle of the nations. And each time God has miraculously delivered his people, and he will again, and he'll defeat them. But think of this. The one who stood the gap, the one who stood the gap was a little Jewish girl. A little Jewish girl that said, if I die, I'll die. But I'm going to tell the king what's going to happen to my people and what's going to happen to me. She stood the gap. Do you stand the gap for people today? Do you stand the gap so someone can be saved today? Do you sacrifice and are you willing to share your life or to suffer so that others can come to Christ to save others spiritually or physically? If you're here today and you're not a believer, I wish you'd just come right now before we even start playing the invitation and say, I need to be saved. We'll have someone take the Word of God and share with you. But God reigns, folks. God was sovereign 500 years before Christ, and He's still sovereign 2,000 years later. He's sovereign for the little things in your life that you think don't matter. He cares. He knows all about it. He's got a plan. And one day it'll be worth it all when we see Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank You. What a wonderful story You've given us. Thank You for preserving this book for us. Thank You for Jesus who stood the gap for us who was Jacob's ladder, who was the doorway of the Passover, who was crucified on the cross. Bless now, Lord, and help us to realize He's the only way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.